what a marvelous time this is. Please continue to pray for them, lift them up, encourage them any way that you can as they prepare for the exciting launch of that campus in just two weeks from now. Greenbush continues very strong and healthy. Continue to pray for Pastor Greg Ballard and his team as they continue to uh, make a difference for God on that side of the river. And in two weeks, when Saratoga launches, we'll be launching a brand new sermon series that I'm really pumped about called Dealing with Difficult People. Now, do you have any difficult people in your life? Maybe they're sitting beside you right now, you know? Uh, Most of us have some pretty difficult people in our life, and could be co-workers, could be family members, it could be neighbor, neighbors or, or classmates. Uh, there's usually some people in our orbit somewhere that, that just annoy the life out of us, right? They're really difficult for one reason or another. So in that series, we're going to take about five weeks just looking at some of the most difficult people you can imagine and look at insight from God's Word as to how we can, can deal with those people what a great series that is. It's going to lead us right up to the, uh, through Palm Sunday, uh, right up to the edge of Easter. And it's a great time to invite a friend. Uh, we're going to laugh a lot together and just study God's word together and get some practical application for life. So that's coming in two weeks. But before we kick that series off, I thought it appropriate to take a couple of weeks in a brief series, and I just want to get incredibly personal and sort of autobiographical in in this two-part series, and and I really want to speak directly to your heart. You see, I've had a philosophy at Grace for over 20 years now that if you build people, people will build the church. If you build people, if you pour into people, if you help them become all God designed them to be, then, then they in turn will, will build the kingdom of God, build the local church. Uh, I just believe that with all my heart. Our philosophy has never been, hey, hey, come to grace and help us do all the stuff we want to do. No, there's certainly a lot of stuff going on and, and we definitely need servants and people to jump in and help. I'll grant you that. But the overarching philosophy that has always driven me and still does is to look at an individual, whatever age they may be, whatever their journey has looked like, and say, look, I want to know about you. I want to know how God has designed you. Because I'm convinced of this, that God has a unique plan for every life. There's nobody else like you. And so God has designed for you a journey, and he wants you to live that life to the max. You see, I believe a huge part of our calling as a church is to help one another live that out. We're here to say, what has God called you to do? And then to help you be all God designed you to be. And I'm praying and I'm trusting and believing that this very two-part series is going to be pivotal. It's just this week and next weekend. That's it. I'm convinced it's going to be a moment in time that will be a hinge point for you. You know, sometimes in history, there have been moments like that. James Marshall was walking along the southern fork of the American River out in California. 
The day happened to be January 24th, 1848. And in that sunshiny day, he saw something glimmer beneath the water. It, of course, was a golden nugget. And in just a matter of days, literally, the California gold rush was on. And that changed American history forever. But it all happened in a moment. It all happened in one moment of time. That was a hinge point in history. And I believe that that happens with us personally. And I believe that for many of you listening to me right now at at Greenbush, at Half Moon, and at Latham, that this will be a hinge point, a moment in time, and God is going to swing a big door on that little hinge. So I invite you to listen. I invite you to go on this journey with me. And let's talk about how to be useful to God. That's the title of the series, Useful to God. And I just want to spend two weeks talking to you about that. Now let me ask you a question before we get to our first major point today. Do you ever do any life inventory? Boy, I do. I'd love to do that. You see, I, I believe that... The unexamined life, as the great philosopher said, is not worth living. I believe that since there's only one life, and it will soon be over, that we need to regularly examine what kind of road we're on, how we're doing. In fact, let me suggest to you some of the kinds of questions I would hope that you would ask from time to time. For instance, a question like this, where am I going in life? Now, these are not meant to be, you know, these stern, morbid kinds of questions. No, they're they're meant to be positive and exciting, but they're very personal, and they're poignant, they're probing. And so, they're the kind of questions that make you pause. Or how about this one? What kind of a steward am I being? You know, with my time, with my mind, with my energy, with my relationships, with the resources God has given me. That's a question that I ask myself in a very intentional way at least three times a year. Three times a year I get away privately and I ask these kinds of questions. Let me give you another one. Another question is, how can I best use this gift of life that God has given me? Because life is a gift. Every breath we breathe, every moment we live is a grace gift from God. And and there's only one go around on this earth. And so we need to ask ourselves questions like these. How can I best use this gift of life? And, And then here's another one. How can I live my life so I know God is pleased? It seems that the driving force of the great women and men in the Bible was to please God with their lives. And so I hope, I hope that you'll ask questions like that from time to time. And on this journey which we're taking together, we're going to get very personal. And I want to talk to you about the kind of person that is useful to God. Now let me make one big caveat before we dive in with both feet. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, Thank God. He's going to talk about studying the Bible. That'll make you useful. He's going to talk about being a person who prays. Awesome. He's going to talk about sharing your faith in Jesus. He's going to talk about being regular in your church attendance, you know, and, and building good character, and that'll, get, that'll make you useful to God, and, and on and on and on, right? Hey, can we make a deal here? Let's just make a deal. Let's, let's take those things as givens, Okay? 
Because honestly, if you're not building character, if you're not a person of integrity, if you're not into the scriptures and feeding on God's word, if you're not a person who's communing with God in prayer, if you're not in fellowship with other Christians and in some way representing him well, obviously then you're you're not going to be incredibly useful to God, obviously. But let's just take those as givens. And let's assume those things are already going on. What I want to do is take the next step. Those are like 101. Those are fundamental. Those are foundational. And I realize that many of us are not really into those things yet. Well, we need to, we need to make those a part of our life. But I'm already assuming that you're a person of prayer, that you're passionately seeking God, you're having quiet times, you're in the Bible, all those things, okay? And now let's take the next step from there. So are you ready? Seatbelt fastened? Here we go. This is going to be quite a journey. I'm convinced that if you want to be useful to God, God uses the person who has a dream. Now, for those of you who are taking notes and jotting some ideas down, you might add a goal or a vision. What I'm saying to you is that nothing happens until somebody starts dreaming, until somebody starts thinking of a preferred future. Now, we just came through the month of February. And February has been designated as Black History Month in America. And that's an awesome thing. It's a time to celebrate the achievements of black Americans and some of the uh, core things, the core role that African Americans have played in American history. But did you ever stop and wonder how that got started? It didn't start just recently. It, it didn't start with the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. It, it didn't even start with Dr. Martin Luther King's great I Have a Dream speech, as awesome as that was. No, the, the, the roots, the antecedents of Black History Month began with a dream. Just a dream in the heart of a young Harvard scholar named Dr. Carter Woodson. And Dr. Carter G. Woodson, as he studied, realized that, wow, uh, when we talked about history, we, we either left out entirely the role of African Americans or it was grossly distorted. And he had a dream to do something about that. And thank God he did. And it's had an awesome result. Nothing happens until we begin to dream. And personally, it's going to be the same for you. Grace Fellowship began just with a dream, a dream that God put in the heart of Debbie and me. Just a desire to see a highly relational local church that was willing to take some risk and get out of the box and do some things a little differently than other churches maybe were, were doing them around in the area. And just to passionately seek God with all of our hearts and just see what God would do. We had no building, we had no budget, we had no people other than four couples that we're willing to go out on a limb with us. But it was just a dream in our heart. And there's a sense in which everything that you see today is a result of what God did just through a dream. Just through a goal, a vision, something that God planted in the heart. And I want to say to you that any goal is noble as long as it's from the heart of God. Some of you in listening to me in these two weeks will think, well, you're just talking about grandiose things. No, I'm not. For some of you, the goal, the vision, the dream God needs to give you is just to be a better mom. 
just to be a better spouse, to be a better dad to your children, to, to be a more cooperative and friendly neighbor. And that, honestly, that would make a huge difference. Some of you need to be a better worker at work. For others of you, it might be to take your studies seriously. And that's a, a dream, a passion, a goal that he gives you during this time. But for others of you, it will be huge. And every goal is noble as long as it's from the heart of God. But nothing happens until somebody starts dreaming. You've got to have some sense of a better future, of what you want to see God do. There's an old saying we use often. You aim for nothing, you what? Hit it every time, right? You know that. You aim for nothing, you hit it every time. You've got to have some kind of a goal. And as I read Scripture, what I observe is that God put in the heart of the great women and men in the Bible this passion for a better future. But it was from God's heart. Think of Abraham. Leave Ur of the Chaldees, Abe. Go to a land I will show you. Didn't seem to make a lot of sense. But God put that desire, that passion, that dream in Abraham's heart. He revealed that to him. And Abraham had the willingness to step out. Moses. I got over two million people, Mo, in Egyptian slavery. And I want you to go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. It was a dream. It was a goal. A vision that God put in the heart of Moses. And he was willing to act on that dream. Nehemiah. I want you to leave the cushy life you've got as the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I know it's pretty run down and forsaken. But I want you to go back, Nehemiah, and rebuild the walls. And so my people have a sense of nationalism and identity and dignity again. That's the dream God put in Nehemiah's heart. And on and on. Let me ask you, what kind of dream has God put in your heart? Now, I believe that the Apostle Paul in the Bible was quite a dreamer, too. He had goals, visions, things he wanted to see God do. God had planted those in his heart. For instance, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases that verse. It says, I run toward the goal with purpose in every step. Hey, does that describe you? Does that describe your life day by day? I go toward that goal, that vision God's given me with purpose in every single step. Or consider this statement from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. He said, so we make it our goal to please him, that is the Lord, whether we are at home in the body or absent from it. Paul had a goal. He had an ambition to please God. Or consider this passage from Romans chapter 15 where he says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then consider this verse from Acts chapter 20. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. A goal is just a statement of faith. 
All of these things that we just read that Paul stated, these were statements of faith. He was saying, I believe God has given me this to reach for and I'm trusting him to empower me to do it. It was a faith statement Paul was making and the same is true with you. Do you have a goal? Proverbs says this about goals. Look at this. If your goals are good, you will be respected. If your goals are good, you will be respected. So let me hit you with a question here. This is a question that we ask in every 301 class, which is a class we offer called Discovering Your Design for Ministry. I I, I first heard this question, and it really changed the trajectory of my life. I first heard it in 1980 when I was in college. Campus pastor, Ursel Harrison was his name. Name your next child Ursel, please, all right? That's Ursel Harrison was discipling a little group of us guys, and he posed this question to us one day, and it just lit me up. This question lit me up. Here it is. Here it is. What would I attempt for God if I knew I couldn't fail? Wow. Now, we could just dismiss right here. And just give you a week to ponder that. What would I attempt for God if I knew I couldn't fail? I'm talking about God-sized dreams here. I'm talking about a dream, a passion, a goal, a vision that God plants in your heart. Like he did for Abraham, for Moses, for Nehemiah, for the Apostle Paul. For so many of the great women and men throughout history. What would you attempt for God? If you knew you couldn't fail. Let me tell you something about that. I don't know what your answer would be. And I hope that you'll go home and ponder that this week. Because next week, we're going to pick up right where we leave off this week. We're just going to pick it up. And I'm going to give you two more major characteristics of the kinds of people that God tends to use. But I'm going to tell you something about that. You dream your biggest dream. You dream the most amazing impact you think God could do. And God says, I'll top it. Give it your best shot. Dream up the biggest dream you think that I would ever want to do. And God says, I'll go beyond what you can imagine. Look at this amazing passage, Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is a... This is a doxology, by the way, in the book of Ephesians, where Paul is just describing praise and glory to God. And he says something interesting about the God that we serve. To him who is able to do immeasurably more... Note those words... Then all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What would you attempt for God if you knew you couldn't fail? Now, let me tell you two common mistakes that we make when we set goals or when we say, here's the future I believe God has for me. Number one, we tend to set them too low. When God first called me in the Gum Springs community near Leoma, Tennessee, from a cotton farm, when I knew he wanted me to preach, I was 13 years old. It's just my story. I'm telling you. I knew clearly at 13 what he wanted me to do with my life. I know that's weird, but give me grace. It's my story, okay? I, I've learned since then that that's not a normal thing. But, but can I tell you honestly, just the honest truth, 
I thought I would stay in Lawrence County, Tennessee and pastor a church similar to the church I had grown up in. My goal, it's all I knew. I, I didn't have great vision. I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever leave. I, I just thought I'd be there with my family where I'd grown up. And I thought, I, well, I know God wants me to preach, but all I knew about was preaching in a local church. And just right there in Tennessee, that, that was my goal. But God, as life unfolded, had something very different in mind for my particular journey. I'm convinced that most people probably sell themselves a little bit short on what could do. Now remember, every goal is noble as long as it's from the heart of God. Everybody hearing that? You say, my great goal in life is just to be a good mom. That's an awesome goal. Every goal is noble if it's from the heart of God. But most people set their goals way too low. And secondly, they expect to reach them too quickly. We try, we try to get there too quickly. And when Grace Fellowship started just over 20 years ago, here's what I said to God at that time. It was a time where I did more fasting than I've ever done in my life for an intense period of time. It was a time when we were just seeking God because I didn't want to make a wrong move. I was wondering what I should do vocationally. And I said to God, Lord, I would love to plant a church in the capital region of New York, but just one thing I ask, would you let me spend at least 40 years there? Now, where did that come from? Where did I get that? That idea of spending a lifetime in one place had been drilled in me by one of my mentors. You've heard me mention him just recently, Dr. Lewis Drummond. He said to me one day in his office, and he said this more than once, But he leaned forward across his desk and he said, Rex, don't ever go to a church. Don't ever take a church job. Don't ever start a church unless you can honestly say before the Lord, I'm willing to spend the rest of my life in this place. Don't even do it. Wow. So that's the vision I started with. I believe God is going to do awesome things, but... It's not going to happen overnight. And so we're just 20 years into the journey, and the best is yet to come. God's done a lot of good stuff, but the best is on the way. God uses the person who has a dream, a vision, a goal. Now, before we move to the final point today, I just want to say a word just heart to heart to some of you. Some of you, you're listening to what I'm saying right now, and you're going, Yeah, we try to reach them too quickly. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm in the slow lane, man. Yeah, God gave me some sense of direction and future long ago, but I don't know what's happening. I look at other people, and they seem to be zooming by me, but I'm stuck in the slow lane. Things aren't developing as quickly as I want them to. Well, you're in good company. I'm sure Moses felt that way. God put that dream in his heart to have the people who were in bondage in Egypt released. And he went about it in his own strength, as we often do. He killed that Egyptian taskmaster, perhaps thinking that the slaves would follow him in revolt. But instead, God had 40 years of waiting for Moses out in Wilderness Seminary on the backside of Midian 
You talk about the slow lane. Man, Moses was getting a lesson that God's timing is not our timing. And some of you feel like you're in the slow lane and it's excruciating and it feels like God's dream is never going to happen. I want you to know today, God knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. And he's not given up on you or on that dream he gave you that he put in your heart. But others of you feel like you're not in the slow lane. You feel like you're in the service lane. Something went horribly bad. A a marriage broke up. A a family fell apart. Your, Your finances were in shambles. You lost that dream job that you thought was a part of the vision. Your addiction got its claws in you again. And began to hold you back. And your hang-ups began to show up again. And you feel like, wow, I'm over here in the service lane. Well, I want you to know God's a pretty good mechanic. And, And because he created you, he knows exactly how to fix you. And I want you to know today that God has your number. He knows exactly where you are. And when the timing is right... He can make that dream come about so quickly. You see, one of the lessons that we all have to learn as we do this journey of life is that, yes, God works through people who have a dream that he put in their heart. But we've got to understand God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says Luke. Neither are your ways my ways. As high as the, you know, the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. We also need to learn that God's timing is not our timing. Second Peter 3.8 says that with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. And a day is a thousand years. You know, is it just a thousand years is just like a moment with God. One guy was praying to the Lord and he'd read these awesome things. He said, God, is it true that your timing is not our timing? God said, yes, it is. He said, Lord, is it, is it true that you just want to bless us and you've got all these wonderful blessings for us? He, God said, yes, it is. He said, is it really true, though, Lord, that with you a thousand years is, is like a moment and a moment's like a thousand years? And God said, absolutely it is. The man said, Lord, could I have a million dollars? And God said, just a moment. Some of you think God has forsaken you. God knows exactly where you are. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His timing is not our timing. And his techniques are not our techniques. But make no mistake, God uses the person who has a dream. But secondly today, I I want you to consider this. God uses the person who's willing to risk failure. Willing to risk failure. The history of Grace Fellowship is just a history, really, of one risk after another. It started that way. I've told you the story about going out on a limb and buying 200 chairs and unloading those chairs from the big truck and carrying them in and wondering with a knot in my stomach, will we ever use 200 chairs? This is a lot of chairs. That was a risk. It was a risk to go out on a limb. It was a risk over two years ago when we declared the two-in-two campaign because it could fall flat on its face. You don't know. 
It's just been one risk after another. But we find that when we step out and follow God in faith, he, God comes through. I like Acts 15, verse 26, where it refers to Paul and Barnabas as these men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, so here's my question for you. What is it in your life right now that requires a risk? Is there anything? Is there anything in your life right now? You say, well, Pastor Rex, I thought that when you followed Jesus, it was a life of tremendous peace and tranquility. I thought that, you know, there were never any fears or concerns and that kind of thing. Wow. He does bring you peace that passes understanding. I'll grant you that. But if you think there's no challenges in the Christian life, you're dead wrong. I love that statement that says, leadership is the ability to hide your panic, right? (laughs) Leadership is the ability to hide your panic. And I have all kinds of panicky kind of emotions, but, but courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just fear that said its prayers. Courage just means staring fear in the face and saying, God's not given us a spirit of fear. We're gonna go ahead in spite of that. Now, some of you have been listening to me so far and you're thinking, well, pastor, it sounds to me like you're, you're telling people that it, God expects us to, to actually do something, to be successful, to, to accomplish something, to, to have a, a, some degree of success in our lives and, and fruitfulness. And some of you are thinking, but pastor, I, I just don't, I don't agree with you. I, I believe God has called us simply to be faithful, not to be fruitful. And I... If that's how you feel, I couldn't disagree with you more. I believe that God has called us to be both faithful and fruitful. And Jesus cursed the barren fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit. And he said, any branch that's not bearing fruit, I'm going to cut it off, throw it, throw it away. I believe that God expects our lives to produce something. Now, can we bring that about through our own power and strength? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But God expects us to be faithful and fruitful. You remember the parable of the talents that we talked about recently? One guy gets five talents or bags of gold, the other gets two, the other gets one. One with five, the one with two, double their master's investment, the one with Only one bag goes and digs in the ground and hides his master's money. One of the reasons that the master was so displeased with the one talent person is that he had refused to take a risk. He'd refused to even take the risk of putting the money in the bank. So what I'm asking you right now is, is there anything in your life, any area of your life, where God kind of has you out on a limb taking some risk for him? You see, if there is no risk involved, there's, there's really no faith involved. My theory is that we need to be over our heads at all times. I have a friend named Art Bailey who works for the Billy Graham team, and he has a thick southern accent, and every time he sees me, we give each other a big hug, and he'll look me in the eye and go, son, son, he calls me son, all right, son, what are you trusting God for? What are you trusting God for? 
And it's because the man who mentored him and me, his theory was you always need to be over your head with God. His name is Charlie Riggs. And he said, Rex, everything God's done in my life is because I've been out on a limb. I've been over my head. I've just had to live by faith all my life. Is there any area in your life where you're doing that today? God uses the person who's willing to risk failure. Proverbs 29 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. And some of us are letting the fear of what people think or fear of failure incarcerate us and hold us back. So as we wrap up today, I want to ask or say one other thing about this whole becoming useful to God. One of the things that discourages you more than anything or just kind of poisons your usefulness to God is when you begin to compare yourself with other people. You begin to compare your ministry or what God is doing in your life with other people. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, where Paul makes this statement. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You say, well, what's the problem with comparisons? Here's the problem. You look at other people and what God is doing in them, and there's only one of two things that can happen when you make a comparison. Number one, you may find some people where it seems like, wow, you're doing a whole lot better than them, and then you're tempted to be proud. Or you may find some people when you compare, who really are doing better than you and you're going to be tempted to be discouraged. Either way, you're dead in the water. That's why comparisons are never any good. You see, God, you're never going to stand before God and him say to you, why weren't you more like so-and-so? Fill in the blank. Give your hero, okay? No, he's going to say, why weren't you more like you? I made you to be you, and if you're not you, if you're not who I made you to be, who's going to be you? God has a plan for you. And it's not for you to be like somebody else or to compare and compete. It only leads to discouragement or pride. So what would you attempt for God if you knew you couldn't fail? As we close today, I want to remind you of one powerful thing. One powerful thing. God is going to be faithful to whatever he has promised to you. God is faithful in the details. Because here's what I know about you. There may be lots of things right now that are kind of holding you back from pursuing that dream, being who God wants you to be. It may be fear. You may be desperately afraid. But you need to understand that Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is faithful in the details. Some of you feel horribly defeated and it's kind of holding you back. You need to remember that Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. God is faithful in the details of your life. 
Some of you feel kind of uh, d- depressed. It's the common cold of spiritual problems, you know, just kind of a low-grade depression, and, and you feel kind of brokenhearted. You need to remember that Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is faithful in the details in your life. And that's why you need to leave this place today encouraged and stoked up because he hasn't forgotten you. He knows your number. Some of you feel guilty and that's holding you back. You think, well, I'm just not worthy because you know all the ways you're falling short. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful in the details. Some of you are lonely on this journey. You say, well, pastor, I've always heard that it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And I just feel so alone in this. You need to remember that Jesus has promised you in John 14, 18, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is faithful in the details. Of your life. Some of you are incredibly tempted, but remember that no temptation has seized you except what's common, and God's faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful in the details. Some of you go, look, I just need more wisdom to pursue this dream. James 1, 5 says, if you ask God, he's going to give it. God is faithful in the details. Some of you are ground down by worry and it just nibbles at you like little foxes that destroy the vines and it's eating you alive, this worry. But you need to be encouraged that God gives an amazing invitation in 1 Peter 5, 7 when he says we can cast all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. God is faithful in the details. God uses the person who has a dream and who's willing to risk even failure to see it come about. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who calls you. He also will bring it to pass. Lord, thankful, faithful, faithful, faithful are you. And we are grateful. Thank you that you're faithful in the details of our lives. That you use the woman or the man who has a dream that's directly from your heart. And they're willing to risk, even failure, in order to pursue that dream. Help us in these days to be the men and women you designed us to be. And to trust you. And help, may we never, ever have a day when we stand before you And have to be so amazed at what we missed out on because we just didn't trust you more. May that day never come. May we live over our head with you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.